Shalom, and welcome to Kehilat Rosh Pina, a dynamic, multicultural, and growing Messianic Jewish congregation located in the heart of Oklahoma City and led by Rabbi Michael Weigand. Our goal is to bring you the message of the Word each week from a Jewish perspective and to exalt Messiah Yeshua as Lord and Savior overall. We are a loving congregation made up of both Jew and Gentile, now one in the Messiah, with Shabbat morning services at 10.40 a.m. and various studies throughout the week. Please come and join us next time you are in Oklahoma City. We would love to have you. And now, we hope you enjoy today's message. If you've had a chance to read through this week's parasha, this week's Torah portion, you realize that we're in a segment of the portion or the, the book of Shemot, Sefer Shemot, the book of Exodus, that talks about several important events. And it's quite easy when we read through the Torah to, to, to uh, focus, on, focus on the events that the Torah talks about. And today I'd like to focus on people, several people that we encounter in Sefer Shemot, the book of Exodus, at this time as we're reading into Exodus chapter 30 and forward. There are several people that are standout people, and I'll explain a little more why I say that. And you are probably familiar with their names, but I promise you at least, uh, at least one of those names, I have never met somebody with this name except in the Bible. And I'll tell you what I'm talking about here in a moment. Let's look at Exodus, Sefer Shemot, chapter 31, beginning with verse 1. I'll be reading from the Tree of Life version. Then Adonai spoke to Moshe, Moses, saying, See, I have called by name Bezalel, son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Yehuda, And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, understanding, and knowledge in all kinds of craftsmanship to make ingenious designs, to forge with gold, silver, and bronze, as well as cutting stones for setting and carving wood, to work in all manner of craftsmanship. Verse 6 of Exodus 31. Also look, I myself have appointed with him Aholiab, son of Ahisamach of the tribe of Dan. When the hearts of all who are wise-hearted, I have placed skill so that they may make everything that I have commanded you. And I think you probably figured out the name that I have never heard before is Aholiab. Has anyone ever met somebody named Aholiab? All right. How about Bezalel? That I have met. All right, good. Especially in Israel. So you have these two characters that are introduced, and, and these two individuals, these men. Uh, one is named Bezalel. Uh, how do we say it? Bezalel, Bezalel, and also Aholiab. Now let's read a little further, because they are spoken of further in Sefer Shemot, the book of Exodus, chapter 35, beginning with verse 30. Here's what it says. Then Moshe, then Moses said to Bnei Israel, the sons of Israel, see, Adonai has called by name Bezalel, son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Yehuda. He has filled him with the Ruach of God, with wisdom, understanding, and knowledge 
in all manner of craftsmanship to make ingenious designs to work in gold, silver, and bronze, as well as cutting gemstones for setting, wood carving, to make all kinds of skillful craftsmanship. He has also placed in his heart the ability to teach both he and Aholiab, son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Don. So Moses here repeats what we had just read in Exodus chapter 31, beginning with verse 1. He says basically the same thing, and he repeats it to the children of Israel about the, how can I say, about the anointing that the Lord has placed on these men. And it continues also in chapter 36, verse 1 of Sefer Shemot, the book of Exodus, and it says this, So Bezalel and Aholiab are to work along with every wise-hearted man in whom Adonai has placed insight and understanding to know how to perform all the labor for the service of the Mishkan, the sanctuary, according to everything Adonai has commanded. Now, in these verses that I just read, we are really, if you think about it, and think back in your own card catalog of biblical understanding, we are first introduced to these men in this section. You don't really encounter them up to this section. So in the background of Israel, the children of Israel coming out of Israel, uh, coming out of Egypt, in the background there, there were these two men that had yet to be identified, but guess what? God knew them quite well. <laughs> and we're introduced to, I would call them remarkable men, these two remarkable men, really in this section of the Torah. We're, we're told their names, we're told their commission, we're told their anointing, what they are to do, and of course, their, their names were Bezalel and Aholiab. The Lord knew these men by name. He knew, actually, if you listen carefully, he even knew their father's names. <laughs> he knew the tribe they came from. One was from Yehuda, from Judah, the other was from the tribe of Don, from Dan. So he knew their names, he knew their father's name, and he knew what tribe they were from. And it says that the Lord placed his spirit upon them, his ruach. Can you say ruach? He placed his ruach upon them. The ruach Elohim, the spirit of God, was placed upon them. And they were anointed for a particular task. And it was a very important and significant task. And that was... All that had to do with the Mishkan and building everything, the, the, uh, the sanctuary as it's often translated for the Lord. That's what they were to do. He anointed them not so they would use the gift of God to do their own bidding. He anointed them not so that they would stand up and promote themselves. He anointed them not so that they would make a name for themselves. Actually, God already knew their names. And if God knows us, that's important, isn't it? How many agree? God, if God knows who we are, that's very important. And, and frankly, the Word of God says He knows who we are. They were to do the Father's bidding, the Lord's bidding, not their own. They were to do, can I say it this way, the work of the Lord, not their own thing. And they were to complete the task that he gave to them. And I, and I read both passages, one from Exodus 31, the other from Exodus chapter 35 and to 36, to, to, to emphasize to you that that same commission was repeated twice. 
I mean, it was a double, it was a repeating of the same commission. What they were to do is repeated in detail twice, which shows how important that mission was. So if we state this another way, Betzalel and Aholiab, they were to use the gifts and the abilities the Lord had given them and the anointing that was on their life, they were to use them. Can I say it this way? They were to use all that that God had granted onto them for kingdom purposes, to use new covenant terminology, for kingdom purposes, not to build their own kingdom, not to do their own thing. Their call was not for self-aggrandizement at all. They were, in essence, to serve the Lord and to complete the task that God had specifically stated to them. And it was quite a task. They were to do that task within the community of the redeemed. The Lord didn't say, well, I've, I've called and anointed uh, Bezalel and Aholiab and I'm sending them back to Egypt so they're not part of this community anymore. No. They were working within the redeemed community in all that they did, which was very important. And you may wonder, and I think sometimes when we read through passages like Shemot, Exodus, and other passages from the Tanakh, the Hebrew Scriptures, the commonly called the, the Older Testament, the Old Covenant, sometimes we read those passages and wonder, well, what does all that have to do with me? I mean, look, I live in the 21st century now. That was centuries before. That was millennia before. What's that have to do with us? I mean, after all, we live in a modern technological society. We, we, we have too many material things. How many agree we have too many material things out there? We have a plethora of social media. And we also have, a, and it's, it's, a, it's, it's a scary thing on the horizon that's peeking its head out now, something called AI. Who's heard of AI before? <laughs> if you haven't, you will. <laughs> Artificial intelligence. We have that and more right now in our society. So what could Betzalel and Aholiab have to teach us? I mean, they were back in, can I say it this way? And they were back in the Stone Age. They were living in the sticks of Sinai. How could they instruct us? I think the answer is very simple. Yes, they have a lot to say to us. A lot to say to us. A lot that would actually speak to our hearts if we allow it to, that we read just from the Torah about them. Because they had many things right in their lives, even though we're just introduced to them now in this week's parasha. But they were gems in the waiting. They were there in the waiting in the midst of the community of Israel, and God knew all about them. He knew the giftings in them, and he had his plan and purpose for them. And for most people that attempt to work for the Lord or step into the call of God on their life, there is a waiting period. You know what? It's scriptural. <laughs> Moses had quite a lengthy waiting period before he was a front lines guy. So, friends, it's very important to, to wait on the Lord and be patient with the Lord and let him bring you to the place he has. Make sure that you are responding to his call on your life and you're doing so in the way that he desires you to do it, not according to your own will or your own purposes or to build a name or to build your reputation or for self-aggrandizement. You know, they had so many good things in their lives, even though we're basically introduced to them now in this week's uh, portion 
The Lord's hand of favor was on them. It's obvious. He says, I place my spirit on them. They're anointed of me. And they seem to devote themselves to doing what was right. And you know, that's something we can learn from them right now. That we, in this generation, need to devote ourselves to doing what's right, not in the sight of man, but doing what's right in the sight of the Lord. If we will do that, we will find ourselves wending our way down the path of God, what he's ordained for us. Now, their skills really piqued my interest about something. As I was rereading this parashah and looking at it from many different directions, Hebrew, English, etc., and looking at it and, and, and thought just how gifted these people were. I'm glad that I wasn't back there and the Lord said to me, I'm going to, you know, you, you work on the gold and all that. So I wouldn't know what to do. Would you? Or if he said to me, I know there's some gifted builders here, but if he said to me, well, you put together the Mishkan... I would take a pass on that, <laughs> you know. It's just not something I would be that good at. It would take the Lord's anointing to get me to step one. And probably the same is true for you with certain things in your life. And I was thinking about just our situation in 21st century. And my, my mind, and I thought about people that are gifted. And of course, you almost naturally, at least I did, maybe you wouldn't go the same direction. But you go and you start thinking of Gifted musicians and gifted singers, those are the ones that seem to pop out in front all the time. Lots of publicity. We know their names. Some of their names are known universally, along with athletes. Known universally. And I was thinking about them, and then I, my thoughts took me another direction. I thought, how many of these gifted musicians and singers, these musical performers, as we might call them, how many of them grew up in the synagogue singing some of the very liturgy that we sing on Shabbat. How many of them grew up in the synagogue and as, as children they learned to, to say the Michemocha, they learned the Ve'ahavta, they, they, they knew about the, saying the Shema and they probably had it down pat. How many of them were raised that way? It's amazing how many were. Hundreds and hundreds of some of the most famous performers and singers and composers were raised in the synagogue. They literally would be familiar with reading the Torah and, and saying the Shema and all that. There are hundreds of them. Some of them come to mind immediately, at least for my generation, people like Simon and Garfunkel. How many have heard of Simon and Garfunkel? If not, well, it's a bridge over troubled water for you. <laughs> And you just go down the list, your Bob Dylan's, your Bobby Zimmerman's, and all those. Person after person, Gene Simmons from KISS, Israeli, a native Israeli. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And there are hundreds of such people who were raised in the synagogue, who had musical gifts, and actually their gift, their music, etc., really gave them some prominence within the society. You know their names. Drake. Who's heard of Drake? Who's heard of Pink? <laughs> Who's heard of Billy Joel? <laughs> and I don't want to go too far down that list, but let me go back a little farther. Recently at home, we decided uh, we were going to watch um, an, an oldie but goodie. And it was the play, the movie, Oklahoma. <laughs> 
I'm not going to sing any of it because I know from then on, like happened to us, it'll be entrenched in your thinking, and, <laughs> and you'll be saying, oh, what a beautiful morning it was. And, you know. <laughs> but there, the composers of that, of Oklahoma, were Rogers and Hammerstein. Yes, you, lest you think just one of them was a Jewish person, Hammerstein, uh, you're wrong, because Rogers was too. He just decided to change his name. His real name was Rogozinski. <laughs> How many would change your name if your last name was Rogozinski? <laughs> so it should have been Rogozinski and Hammerstein. Rogers fits a little better, I think. But then there are others. I remember years ago going to a, a Philharmonic performance in Tel Aviv, and, and Leonard Bernstein was there. What a privilege that was. Leonard Bernstein, how many have heard of him? A great composer. He did, uh, I think it was called the Peace uh, thing that he did. And there's another one, Burt Bacharach. Who's heard of Burt Bacharach? I know for some of you, I'm really starting to get it now. But some of the, his songs, Burt Bacharach songs, these are people raised in the synagogue. Jewish people with giftings of music and singing and instrumentation, all that stuff, being able to play instruments. But Burke Bacharach wrote so many famous songs. He wrote Dionne Warwick's three most famous songs. I'll mention them. Walk on by. <laughs> this one sounds real spiritual, but I don't think the words were that spiritual. I say a little prayer. <laughs> and then this one, Do You Know the Way to San Jose? I mean, he should have been writing, do you know the way to Tel Aviv or something like that, but he didn't. He also wrote a B.J. Thomas song that was a multi-platinum song, repeated many times, and it's called Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head. How many of you have heard of that one? How many wish I didn't mention it this morning in my service? But all these things, these were, these were songs, these were individuals who had gifts, etc., that were raised in the synagogue, and, you know, not to be outdone, let me be fair about this, my mind also took me to thinking about all the great musicians that the world esteems right now who are raised in the church, who grew up singing in the church choir. And if there were hundreds who, grew, who were raised in the synagogue, there are hundreds and hundreds who were raised in the church. Some of them are, are famous names, some of the most classic singers that we would ever imagine, like Aretha Franklin. Can you show me a little R-E-S-P-E-C-T? <laughs> or what about Whitney Houston? Raised and singing gospel in the church. And there's some that are still performing now. Their whole start was in the church. Johnny Legend. Katy Perry, who changed her name from Katie Hudson. Usher. Usher was a big churchgoer there. Yet, sadly, the songs that everyone that I mentioned, the lyrics to the songs, the songs may be alluring and beautiful, but the leerings to the song and some of the philosophies that the songs promote, some of the ideals and some of the morals from both groups, those raised in the synagogue, those raised in the church, and there are literally hundreds and hundreds of them. 
They are far from. Those philosophies, lyrics, morals, ideals that are presented in their music is more often not far away from what we read in the Bible. Far away. What they were probably taught in the church as little little ones growing up or in the synagogue as growing up and, and reciting the Shema and the Ve'afta. And although I admit to not knowing any of these individuals personally or their lives, I do know a biblical principle that I'd like to share with you. And I'll, I'll read it in its context. It's found in Matatiao, Matthew chapter 7, beginning with verse 15. You know this concept very well. It says, watch out for false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Verse 16 is a principle. You will recognize them by their fruit. Grapes aren't gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles, are they? Even so, every good tree produces good fruit, but the rotten tree produces bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a rotten tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Verse 20, Matthew 7. So then, you will recognize them by their fruit. There's a principle right there. And then 21 is one of the scarier verses in the Sermon on the Mount, which we're studying on Tuesday. Let's read it together, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. And I think we can all agree as we look at this week's parasha, Kitisa is the name of it, we can agree as we look at what happens with Bezalel and Aholiab that these two men did what God wanted them to do. It was clearly spelled out to them and they did what God wanted them to do. In a sense, they used their talents and their skills and what they had, they used that for his purposes. They used that for his kingdom work, if I could use our phraseology now. They used his anointing that he placed on them to fulfill what he wanted them to do. And I can't help but think, but what about all those singers that I just mentioned? And all those composers that I just mentioned? I'm not their judge. But if you go by the words coming from their mouth and the lyrics of their songs, etc., you begin to wonder, did they miss the mark? Did they miss the mark? Are these singers composing music? Are they doing the will of God? Did they do the will of God? All the giftings that God had given to them, did they use that for kingdom purposes? Because that's fruit that will remain right there. And when they were young, did they allow the holy word of God to take root in their lives? Or are they transferring right now to continuous generations some things and attitudes and ideas and philosophies that are absolutely contrary to the holy things of God's Word? I don't need to tell you that. If you look deeply into some of this, you realize 
some of what they've been doing, as talented as they are, as good of singers as they are, how great a composer they are, the musicians, they really fall short of the standard of God's word and his holiness. Yet, friends here today, worldly influencers enmeshed in the fiber of a society like some of those I mentioned are, that is not a new issue. It's actually a very old issue. Scripture speaks about it. Yaakov, James warned against a similar, a similar corrosive spiritual process that was taking place even back in the first century, that's 2,000 years ago. And he wrote this in Yaakov, James chapter 4, verse 4. And man, you talk about speaking directly about it. <laughs> Here's how he starts. Adulterers and adulteresses. Do you not know, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And there you have this contrast. Friendship with the world, enmity with God. I think it's much better, and I suggest to you, and I think you would agree, it's much better to follow Father Abraham, Abraham Avinu, who is called both in the Brit Hadashah and in the Tanakh, he's called what? The friend of God. Abraham's called the friend of God. That's what we should aspire to be, to be the friend of God, to, to be a, a person with his anointing, with his desires foremost in our life, and wanting to do his will above all else. So are these musicians, composers, singers, and we can go down and listen to comedians and actors and actresses, are they, are they doing God's will when they promote ungodly, worldly ways that may ultimately lead a person farther from God rather than nearer to the Lord? to our covenant-keeping God, blessed be his name, and to his word, nearer to his word and his ways, are they really pointing people in the right direction? I think not. And again, James addresses this also a little bit further in the same chapter of James chapter 4, Yaakov chapter 4, beginning with verse 7. And he says it almost in a mitzvah form, in a commandment form. He says, therefore... Submit to God. Submit to God. Moreover, take a stand against the adversary and he will flee from you. And then verse 8 is another commandment. It says, come close to God and guess what? He will come close to you. How many know that is a secret when you're going through difficult times in your life? The secret is, and it's not a big secret, but I think most of us have experienced it, when you're going through a difficult time in your life, don't run away from God. Guess what you do? You run into the name of the Lord, who's a strong and mighty tower, and the righteous run into it is safe. It's a mistake to run away from God when you're having trouble. It's better to run to him and ask him for his help because he's an ever-present help in time of need. Therefore, submit to God. Moreover, take a stand against the adversary. Yaakov, James chapter 4, verse 7. And he will flee from you. Verse 8, James chapter 4, verse 8. Come close to God, and he will come close to you. Notice the next one. Clean your hands, sinners. <laughs> 
and purify your hearts, double-minded people. We come to the Lord on his terms and what he desires. Not, it's not our will be done, but his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I'm so thankful, and I, I, I trust you are too. I'm so thankful for a merciful God, as Kevin pointed out to us in the liturgy. What a merciful God we serve. Now, and this is where I think the question, initial question, as I began this thrush this morning, the initial question is what can we learn from these guys, Betzalel and Aholiab, whose names we can barely pronounce? What can we learn from them? What's there to learn from them? And I'll suggest to you that there are certain important principles that we learn from these men. And these principles, if we will accept those principles and allow those principles to really work in and through our lives, these things can really help us the duration of our lives. Because Betzalel and Aholiav, they seem to suddenly come on the scene when we read about them in this week's parashah, Yet the reality of the matter is that God knew all about them before we did. Before they're introduced in Scripture, He knew all about them. And as I mentioned prior, He knew their family, He knew their father's name, they knew the tribe, and He knew exactly what He wanted to do with them. He anointed them for His sovereign purposes. And I believe there are people here today listening to these words. God's hand is on you for His purposes, and part of the issue is you won't yield to His purposes. You want your own. Zelohalech, that's not going to go. It won't work. They were to do something that was really monumental. And like I said before, for me, it would have been quite a task. They were to do all this workmanship and not only do some of it themselves, but also teach others to do it and oversee it under Moshe as their leader. And they were to do all the workmanship of the Mishkan, as it's called in Hebrew, the sanctuary. And as it is, they were doing the workmanship, but guess what? (laughs) They were the Lord's workmanship as they were doing the workmanship. We see in them the handiwork of God working in the life. God equipped them with his anointing for his ministry. He equipped them with his Holy Spirit, the Ruach Elohim, the Spirit of God. He equipped them to do the work within the context of community, not their own thing. He equipped them. But here's a question. But what traits? What traits did God work into their lives? And Scripture gives us a good idea as we look at the overall picture about them. What traits did God work into their lives which helped them become suitable vessels, suitable vessels for the holy purpose of building the Mishkan and the articles that were connected to the Mishkan? What traits did God work in their lives? And I want to share with you briefly 12 traits, 12 traits, and there are actually more, but I'll share 12 of them with you. 12 traits of Bezalel and Aholiav that helped assure their success in the ministry God had given to them, 12 of them. And I'm going to suggest to you that these same type of traits may also help us succeed in fulfilling the will of God in our lives. For example, trait number one, They were teachable, and so because they were teachable, they were able to teach others. (laughs) 
Trait number one is they were teachable. Somewhere along the line in this mysterious background of theirs, they were teachable. Someone had to teach them how to do some of these things that they did. And certainly we, we don't want to downplay the importance of the anointing of God, but they were teachable people. And eventually, and I read this passage previously in Exodus chapter 35, they were called upon to teach others, to mentor them, to fulfill a task. Trait number two, very important. They were submitted to authority. Do you know not once in the Torah does it say, and Bezalel and Aholiab gathered themselves together. They went and confronted Moses and said, you're not doing things right. Not once does it say that. And there's not one single verse that says, and, and Aholiab rebelled against Moses. Not once. Or Bezalel decided he didn't want to do what Moses had to say. Or God. There was nothing like that. Trade number three. They were willing to work together. Just think about this. This is an important one. These two, they were willing to work together within a community context. They were not lone rangers. And just think about it. Just think of your own life. If the Lord paired you with certain individuals, how would you like it? There may be some that you said, no, Lord, don't pair me with that person on this task. We don't find any veto at all with Bezalel and Aholiab. We don't know if they knew each other. We do know they were from two different tribes, though. One was from Yehudah and the other from Dan. And yet they were put together to work on the purpose of God, a very important purpose, the Mishkan. And we don't find either one saying, no, I'm not going to work with him. I can't get along with that person. So they were willing to work together in a community context. And because they worked together, they were able to mentor others to also work alongside of them. If they did not work together, just think of how the narrative would go. God called Aholiab and God called Bezalel, but Aholiab said, I don't want to work with Bezalel. I'm not doing it. Think how that changed the whole narrative of these guys' life. And here's a fourth trait that they had. They were able to focus on the task at hand. You know, it doesn't ever say, and it's very critical here, because they finished the, in record time, they finished the Mishkan. When we get to the end of Exodus, and we start to be, the end of Exodus tells us the exact time when they finished. By the first day of the first month of the second year, they had finished all this work. And it was fine work. Engraving and setting of stones and, and all that stuff to prescription, so to say. And they stayed focused on the task. Suppose Bezalel said, you know what? I don't think I want to do this today. I need to take this time off, Lord. I don't, need, I, I, don't, I don't think I need to do this task right now. I'll let you know when I'm ready to do it. There's not a, a, a nary a word about that. They put their hand to the plow, as Yeshua said. He said, no person who puts their hand to the plow and looks back is worthy of the kingdom. These two guys put their hands to the plow and they completed the task. And that brings me to number five. So number four, they were able to focus on the task at hand. And number five, they used their time wisely. <laughs> there was a lot to be done and they used their time wisely. We know that because they finished in a timely manner as if God knew exactly when they would finish. And number six, 
This is an important one. They were faithful and trustworthy. If you listen carefully to what they were supposed to do, they were to set jewels in the right places. They were to work with zahav, gold, of silver, and all the other things, bronze included. There's not a single scripture that says, well, when um, Bezalel wasn't looking, the holy op took one of the rubies, he took one of the diamonds, he took some of the gold, put it in his pocket and went home. Not a single scripture. They were faithful and they were trustworthy people. Number seven, they conducted themselves uprightly. You know, not once does it say, and Moses had to call a community meeting because the people couldn't get along with them. Not once. They conducted themselves uprightly. Whatever that looked like, we don't know. We're not told. But we do see the lack of any type of scripture that says that they, there was trouble there because of them. Number eight. <laughs> And I don't mean to step on toes here with number eight. <laughs> they were diligent. They were not procrastinators. Suppose they said, yeah, Lord, I got the message. You want me to do the Mishkan. I'll be available next year, you know, on the 5th of Av, I'll be available. No, they got right to, if you look carefully at the text, they started right away doing what they were commissioned to do. So they were diligent. They weren't procrastinators. And I tell you, if your life is full of procrastination, that's what it's going to be full of, procrastination. <laughs> You'll always be putting the very blessings of God off from you, procrastinating. Number nine, and this is a real, I think this stands out to me. Maybe it will to you also. They persevered, and they kept pressing on. Do you think there were times when they were interacting there in the community where they could have just thrown in the proverbial towel and said, you know, I can't handle this anymore? They kept pressing on, and we are called to press on in the high calling of Messiah Yeshua to complete the course we are to run. Number 10, there's only 12. They did what they were supposed to do, and this next statement's important. They did not make up excuses. Have you ever made up an excuse? And sometimes really what's underneath that excuse is, I'm too lazy to do this. Or I don't really want to do this. I don't agree with this. All these other things are just excuses. They had a clear commission from the Lord, an anointing to do it. God knew them by name, knew their father's name, knew the tribes they were from, and he picked them out by name. He called them by name. And not a single verse after that says they made any type of excuse about it. You know what? They just did it. Just do it, I guess. And number 11, they, main, they maintain humility throughout their commission. There's also not a verse that says, and, and you know, Bezalel was he was so proud of himself for all that he did. Not a single verse. They did what they were supposed to do, and they let God sort out the rest. That's how we should be. We do what God wants us to do, do what's right in his sight. He sorts out all the other stuff. It does say that a man's gift will make room for him and bring him before kings. And number 12, lastly, they saw the assigned task to completion up to the last minute. They didn't pull out at the last second. All the way to its completion. And when you read the end of 
Shemot, end of Exodus, and you get to chapter 40, the very end, it does say that, that Moses completed the task, and that implies Aholiab, Betzalel, and all those connected them. They completed the task under Moshe's supervision. In a sense, they fulfilled what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. Whatever you do, whether it's eating or drinking or anything else, do it all so as to bring glory to God. Now, if you're wondering if all of this has bearing on your life, your daily conduct, your activity in the community, and your calling, I want to just leave you with a couple of thoughts here as we prepare for the Lord's Supper. First of all, let's remember, let's remember our Messiah. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. It says this, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift, the free gift of God. Verse 9, it's not based on deeds so that no one may boast. And then this, and I think this next verse ties in well with these workers back then, Betzalel and Aholiav, for we are his workmanship, created in Messiah Yeshua for what? For good deeds, which God prepared beforehand so we might walk in them. And you get this sense when I read about Betzalel and Aholiab that God had this figured out. Does that surprise you that he who created the heavens and the earth put breath inside a man, had things figured out somewhat? Doesn't surprise me at all. For we are his workmanship, created in Messiah Yeshua for good deeds which God prepared beforehand so we might walk in them. And God reminded Israel of this important truth in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 1. He said, but now this is what Adonai says. This is what Adonai says. He who created you, O Israel, Yaakov, he who formed you, Israel, he says this, don't be afraid, for I have redeemed you And then it states this, I am calling you by your name. And notice the last three words, you are mine. Friends here today, are you resolved in understanding that you belong to the Lord? And because you belong to him, that means the gifts, everything that he's placed in you, they belong to him as well. And you use those giftings and the anointing of God in your life to do his purpose. It's not about you. And in a parallel way, Yeshua knows you by name. Even this day as we're speaking, he knows us by name. Even right now where you're sitting, he knows you by name. He actually stated that. He made it clear. And he was sacrificed for us. He laid down his life. That's what these elements are about. His great sacrifice for us so that we may walk in newness of life through faith in him, through trusting in him. In John chapter 10, verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd does what? Lays down his life for the sheep. He goes on later. I encourage you to read all of John 10. But in John chapter 10, verse 14, he says, Again, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Notice the reciprocity there. I know my own, my own know me. And then John chapter 10, later on in the same chapter, in verses 27 and 28, he says, my sheep do what? My sheep hear my voice. 
There's so many voices out there, including from the musical world and the acting world and the media world and the AI world and all the other worlds out there. My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and guess what it says? And they do what? They follow me. Verse 28 is a beautiful verse. <laughs> As we celebrate the Lord's Supper, I'd ask you, encourage you to think about this, what he actually did for you. In verse 28 it says, I give them what? Eternal life. They will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. So, friends, I suggest to you today that Bezalel and Aholiab still speak to us today. The wonderful character traits, and there are more than 12 that I listed, the wonderful character traits that were formed in Aholiab's life and Bezalel's life, even though we're just introduced to them in, in Exodus 30 and forward, those wonderful character traits God was working, they were his workmanship in them. And I leave you with this passage as we prepare for the Lord's Supper. It's in 2 Kepha, 2 Peter, chapter 1, beginning with verse 3, from the complete Jewish Bible version. Notice the first statement. God's power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowing the one who called us to his own glory and goodness. Now, we could stop right there with that. That is rife with meaning. God's power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowing the one who called us to his own glory and goodness. In verse 4, by these he has given us valuable and superlatively great promises so that through them you might come to share in God's nature and escape the corruption which evil desires have brought into the world. Verse 5, for this very reason, try your hardest to furnish your faith with goodness. Goodness with knowledge. Knowledge with self-control. Self-control with perseverance. Perseverance with godliness. Godliness with brotherly affection. And brotherly affection with agapeo, God kind of love. Verse 8, for if you have these qualities in abundance... They keep you from being barren and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Yeshua, the Messiah. Indeed, whoever lacks them is blind, so short-sighted that he forgets that his past sins have been washed away. Verse 10, therefore, brethren, try even harder to make your being called and chosen a certainty. For if you keep doing this, you will never stumble. Thus, you will be generously supplied with everything you need to enter the eternal kingdom of our Lord and deliverer, Yeshua the Messiah. Will you please bow your heads as we prepare for the Lord's Supper? Thank you, Lord, for the great provision you've given to us that while we were yet sinners, you sent your Son, Yeshua the Messiah to die for us and that our sins are forgiven in his name our sins are atoned for through faith in him and because of his shed blood as the kapara the atonement for us Lord I pray as we are preparing to partake of these elements I pray Lord that 
not one of us will fall short of your plan for our lives. That we would add all the traits that we need by the empowerment of your spirit to fulfill your will. That you'd help us to persevere. You'd help us to be trustworthy and faithful. You'd help us, Lord, to grow in love and to love you and to love one another as you commanded us. And thank you so much for your love exhibited on the tree that slav, the execution stake, the cross. We thank you, O Lord, for remembering us that while we were yet sinners, and in our case before we were even born, you made provision through the shed blood of our Messiah, Yeshua. Thank you, Lord. May your name be praised. Lord, I pray that your name would be lifted up in each of our lives, that it would be unto you that the glory would be. Lolanu Adonai, Lolanu Kileshimcha Ten Kavod. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name give glory. I ask these things in the name of our Messiah. Amen. You've been listening to the Shabbat message from Rosh Pinah Messianic Jewish Congregation in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. We would love to have you visit us. Our weekly services begin at 10.40 a.m. each Shabbat, and we are located at 2600 Northwest 55th Place, north of Northwest Expressway at the corner of Northland Avenue and Northwest 55th Place. We meet each Shabbat for wonderful praise and worship with dance, liturgy, teaching, food, fellowship, excellent children's programs, and Bible studies on Tuesday nights. For more information, please visit our website, www.roshpinah.org. That's R-O-S-H-P-I-N-A-H dot O-R-G. You can also reach us by phone at 405-842-1967 or email us at info at roshpinah.org. Thank you for spending time in the Word with us today. Shabbat Shalom and blessings in Messiah Yeshua.